Today, we welcome Dr. Elise Briscoe, a developmental optometrist here in Los Angeles. She shares her personal vision story and talks about the differences between optometry and developmental optometry. She also digs into what vision therapy is, addresses a common critique of vision therapy, and talks about how vision issues deeply impact reading, learning, and academic functioning. Welcome to Learn Smarter, and if you're new here, Steph and I have been co-hosting this podcast for about two and a half years. We're both educational therapists in private practice, and if you are interested in working with either of our practices, you can reach out to us. My practice is CAP Educational Therapy Group, and our website is www.capedtherapy.com, and Steph's practice is My Ed Therapist in Redondo Beach, California, and the website is myedtherapist.com. We are both super honored to be working with you virtually during the pandemic, and we are proud to say that our services have been really, really effective virtually, and we will probably always offer a virtual component to our services from here on out. So we are so excited for you to hear this episode with Dr. Briscoe. We have been wanting to get her on our podcast for quite a while. This has been a long desired episode, and we are so excited for you to hear it. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 127 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we welcome Dr. Briscoe. Welcome, Dr. Briscoe. Hey guys, how are you? So happy to have you here. This has been an episode that Steph and I have talked about doing for a while. Yes. And we're so excited that we made it happen with you today. So thanks for taking the time and really for being so prepared for our audience. We appreciate it. (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. You know, this is a mission for me because not only am I a developmental optometrist, I was a patient of Mm. the optometrist. And that's how I got into this because I suffered. So oh, let's get into it. Yeah, I want to hear. Yeah, we would love to hear about you and what you do and your story and who you do it for. Well, I am an integrative optometrist and a clinical homeopath. So I'm a holistic doctor. Mm-hmm. And I've been caring for patients for 30 years. And most of my patients have actually become part of my professional family. I just love what I do. I did a postdoctorate fellowship in developmental vision and children's vision, which includes strabismus and amblyopia. And what's interesting about me is I am also an entrepreneur. I invented something to replace reading glasses. It's the first phone case that's a vision wellness device. So once you reach your mid-40s, you start losing the ability to see close up. And then you have to whip out a pair of reading glasses. And how many times have you been with somebody who they can't find the reading glasses? Or, yeah, I can see you reaching your hand out there, Rachel. Or they're holding something super far away. Because most of my patients would rather be caught dead than being seen with a pair of reading glasses, which is an admission of middle age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I invented a phone case with the reading lens that allows you to see on your phone and off your phone without god-awful reading glasses. All right. Well, I'm going to be ordering that for both my parents. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of people who can use it. And we just went through a place in a CBS TV show called California by Design. And uh, I was up against NASA, JPL. I was up against Uber, Thermador, an aviation company. It was just little me. 
Mm-hmm. He's a girl from Chicago. And we won third place as one of the top three inventions in the state. So, congratulations. So cool. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. It is thank awesome. You. Yeah. Is. And very few female inventors and um, founders of companies. And then I'm a wellness influencer. I actually live this, what I preach, I live. And uh, I share holistic, healthy living tips on Instagram and YouTube. My handle is Hollywood Eyes, E Y E S. And so I do a daily wellness blog with healthy tips, everything from being a single mom to vision problems, working out. I am a boxer and I'm (laughs) a couple of boxing companies. Yeah. A middle-aged Asian female boxer. I'm a very rare breed. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. And then uh, I was the team optometrist for the Anaheim Ducks. I was the only female optometrist, only female doctor in the NHL. Wow. So I trained them. We did eye-hand coordination, speed of reaction time. I did what's called vision therapy, but applied for sports. So sports vision enhancement therapy, basically to help them react faster to the puck. I've also been to the Olympics and trained athletes from around the world at the Olympics at the Summer Games in Atlanta. And then I co-founded the Rehabilitative Vision Clinic at the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center where we treat patients with concussion, brain injury, strokes. Because of brain injury, they've lost their ability to use their eyes correctly. And so we retrain them. And now we're at Cal Rehab. We joined with UCLA. And then beyond that, I'm a mom of a Maltese and a young boy. And I'm also here with you, ready (laughs) ready to get the word out. Yeah. What's your dog's name? Curtis. Curtis. (laughs) Curtis. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Me too. A gentleman. It sounds like it. <laughs> he sounds British, to be honest. He's the chief caring officer of my practice. So I love it. I love it. Spreading down the halls, making everybody smile. And the kids love him because we have a lot of children in the office. Awesome. That's so great. <laughs> I'm giggling. Okay. So you and I, we've shared some cases together. And well, over the years, I've had a couple of cases and I remember reaching out to you because I looked up vision therapy and your website came up and I just liked what it said and how it was. And you're not very close to me in the South Bay, but I've sent quite a few clients your way because I really did like your mission and what you were saying. And I think that our audience will really, really identify with what it is that you do in your clinic with kids in particular. So will you explain a little bit about that? So I'm a developmental optometrist, which there's a big difference between somebody who's done their post-doctorate work in this area versus a regular optometrist. Because a regular optometrist or ophthalmologist will check for glasses prescription, and then they'll check the health of your eyes. Super duper important. But a developmental optometrist goes beyond that because vision is so much more than just seeing 2020. Uh, and a lot of people have the false security uh, and they'll say, when we recommend a vision exam, I already have my eyes checked at the pediatrician's office. We read the eye chart or I took them to see an optometrist or ophthalmologist and they said, my child's eyes were fine, but they were not tested fully. So what a developmental optometrist does and what I do is I evaluate visual function. How do the eyes work? How does this patient input and process visual information? Because vision is not just seeing and seeing doesn't take place in the eyes. It actually takes place in the brain. So the brain is the one that controls tracking so that your eyes move correctly 
and quickly across the page to take in words. The brain controls the eye alignment so that the eyes work together as a team so that you don't see double vision because the eyes are not pointing at the same place. The brain so uses the eyes as the body's rangefinder. So it tells you how far away things are. Things as simple as pouring coffee. Uh, if you don't have good depth perception, you'll miss the cup. Or walking downstairs and being able to tell how deep is the stair. Mm-hmm. Uh, a ball, handwriting, video games. Let's get real. That's important to kids. Yes, <laughs> yes. it's true. Yeah. So we see a lot of patients who come in and we're like their third or fourth opinion but they know something's wrong because their kids are struggling in school, but they're bright. They do really well verbally on tests. If you read them the material or if they watch a movie, they remember every single detail, but Mm -hmm. they have to read it on a computer or hard copy on a book. It just breaks down. They're slow readers. They lose their place. They're uncomfortable. They don't like to read. They have headaches, eye strain, you know, just the whole gamut. And so we have a lot of gifted kids who come in, but they're struggling in school. And it breaks my heart because I was one of those kids. I have a lazy eye. My right eye actually drifts out. And I also have an amblyopia, so I don't see as well on my right eye as my left eye. I saw eye doctors growing up because I'm nearsighted, so I needed glasses and then eventually contact lenses. But the thing is, I would tell my optometrist, I'm seeing double. After 10 minutes of reading, I would see ghost images or double. I was the poster child for eye coordination problems. I was clumsy. I couldn't catch a ball very well. My mom didn't let me in the kitchen because I would knock things over all the time. So somehow I made it. I was valedictorian in high school, but I didn't have to do a lot of reading. You know, I could learn by listening in class and just remembering Once I got to USC and I was pre-med, that's when everything broke down because by then there's volumes of reading and so many study. And I was a really poor reader. We had a lot of Scantron tests is what we used at that time where we had to fill in the bubble. They were time tests. I couldn't finish tests on time. I was in their honors program. I had gotten 1600 on the SAT. I did really well. So my counselor brought me in And she said, what's going on? How did you get into thematic option? You're failing your classes. And I said, I can't keep up. When they assign an hour of reading, it takes me four or five hours and I have to keep rereading. I don't understand what I've read. I read out loud to myself. I fall asleep reading or I see double vision. I thought I had an attention problem because I would just stand up. I would have to go do sit-ups or jumping jacks. That's how I got into fitness, by the way, Mm. is because I was anxious and I couldn't sit and focus. So they gave me some of my tests orally. I somehow graduated cum laude, but way below what my potential is. And then optometry school is fate for me because we were learning in our developmental vision and binocular vision classes about vision therapy. And I looked at all the symptoms and I thought, whoa, that's me. I have almost every single problem on this checklist. So I did vision therapy when I was in grad school and lo and behold, I'm a good tennis player. I can catch a ball. I read over 600 words a minute. I became the director of education and research in LA County, the Optometric Society for a couple of years. So I had to read volumes. I finally liked to read and read for pleasure. And it wasn't uh, 
until I was taking the classes that uh, I was able to diagnose and treat myself. And that's why I decided I was going to dedicate my life to this field because at that point I was pissed off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why didn't all the people I complained to help me? Right. They just said, oh no, this is your prescription and sent me on my way. And then I felt bad. I thought something was wrong with me mentally. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though I was a good student, I couldn't read fast enough and take tests to save my life. Oh man. This is why we wanted to have you come on the podcast and share a little bit because when you know better, you do better, as Oprah says. And I have to assume the adults in your life didn't know better, but now our audience will know better. Yep. So what I would love for you to share is what is vision therapy and how does it work? So vision therapy is used for our patients who have some sort of visual motor or visual perceptual problem, meaning basically that their eyes don't work like they should. They could see clearly. They may or may not need glasses to see, but they see 20-20, but they cannot input the information correctly. So an oversimplification is vision therapy is kind of like a physical therapy where we work on eye muscle control and coordination, as well as processing and understanding what you've seen. So the visual perceptual skills that we may work on could include visual memory, visual discrimination, figure ground, you know, being able to remember what you've seen, remember it in the right order. Visual figure ground, super important for kids with attention issues or as you start going into higher levels of text because you want to keep your place on the page, even though there's a lot of surrounding distracting information. Also important when you're on a soccer field or Or basketball, because you have to keep your eye on the net or the goal, but also be aware of the players that are around you, both your teammates and the opposing team. Uh, I coach AYSO soccer, by the way. (laughs) Start this week. I'm so excited. We found a way to do it safe with COVID. And I was also the only woman coaching my son's little league up until this year. I got to tell you a funny story. I'd go out in the field and then the ref would say, no moms in the field. Wow. I'm in my coach's uniform. If you guys watch baseball, I would coach first base during the games. Then I'd say, oh, I'm a coach. I'm like, why are they telling me no moms in the field? I'm looking around. There's no other moms in the field. And then I realized they're talking to me. Right. I'm like, no, no, I'm I'm a coach. So I'm a valuable coach because I've worked with professional athletes on speed of reaction time and eye-hand coordination, seeing the ball faster. So that's something else we do then that's something we do for vision therapy. But so back to your question with vision therapy, it's not eye training. It's actually brain training. We're teaching the brain how to control the eyes. We're teaching the brain how to transmit that information more correctly and efficiently to the hands, to the body for depth reception. It's really in the brain that this happens. One of the biggest things that I've noticed are kids that rub their eyes while they're reading. That was one of the first things that came up looking for some sort of vision therapy for a client because every other second was rubbing of the eyes and the parent said exactly what you said. Oh, their vision is fine. And when you actually checked this patient, you told me that her eyes were that of a 40-year-old and she was eight. Oh, I remember her. Yeah. Okay, so with that, the... Brain controls the eye muscle so that you can change focus. And 
looking close up and reading a book or distance learning on a computer for hours is actually unnatural for the human eye. We are designed to hunt and gather and see far away. So when you look close up, you have to zoom your eyes in and hold that focus for a prolonged period. So imagine this, having to sit cross-legged for six hours while you're in distance learning. Your muscles would get tight and sore. Well, that happens with the eye muscles. And there's kids who do not have that focusing ability. I mean, usually you start losing your focusing when you're in your mid-40s. That's why I was talking about why I invented nearsight. But we have children who haven't been tested who are either hyperopic and farsighted or their accommodation and their focusing muscles don't work well. So they can't zoom into focus to make the text clear and focus on it and see it for a prolonged period. So these are the kids, they rub their eyes, Stephanie, because they're uncomfortable and they don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. They Something's wrong. Either you'll see them blink a lot, rub their eyes, or children will move their books further away from them, just like you would see your parents doing. But instead, they're a child. So some children do need reading glasses. Uh, I'm very judicious and conservative about prescribing reading glasses because I also want to work on the child to give them the visual skills so that they don't need reading glasses, so that Mm -hmm. they don't. But if their eyes are underpowered and they have to have them, by all means, I will definitely give that to them. The cases that I've come across, besides rubbing of the eyes, there was a kid that would choose books that were all bigger font. Yeah. And didn't want to read things that she liked because they were smaller. And when I got her to verbalize that, that was something. Also, she would stand either really, really close to the TV or really, really, really far away from the TV. And it was clear that it wasn't like her peers or her brother. Those are some things. And then I think about a client that I had who was in college. He came into my office and he was rubbing his eyes. His eyes were red And everyone just thought that it didn't matter to him. And I was the first person to ask him about his eyes. And I sent him to you. And then you said the way his eyes were working was taking three times as long. He had to read it three times in order to just read one page. And when he came back to me, it was almost like somebody heard him and understood him for the first time. I mean, that resonates with me because I lived that. And let's back up for a second. Do you know that one out of five people, child or adult, has some sort of tracking, eye teaming, or visual perceptual problem? So one in five. So I challenge teachers to look around their classroom and how many kids, like you said, are rubbing their eyes or not doing as well as you know that they're intellectually capable of. And one thing you said is your kids don't like doing what they're not good at. So when they're not comfortable reading and their eyes are jumping all over the place, they're not working as a team and they can't focus, they're not going to enjoy it because it's uncomfortable. It's like there's some kids, you know, who aren't very athletic or they're out of shape and they're not going to enjoy soccer or track because they're out of shape and they can't breathe and they're not going to like doing it. So, you know, that's where we come in. We address the underlying uh, deficient visual skills and... We break it down, train them until they are at an age-appropriate level, and then we do what's called loading because when kids or adults have some sort of vision problem, they're compensating for their vision problems. So they're spending more time processing the information and inputting it rather than 
the content. So it really, you're working harder on the process rather than the content. And that really takes away from your attention and your ability to process the problem that you're working on, Mm -hmm. figuring out what you're learning. So uh, that's one thing we do with vision therapy is you make vision so easy and automatic that you don't think about it, that you're comfortable, you don't get the headaches and eye strain, and you can then turn your attention to the task at hand. And that's Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Vision problems don't go away. I have attorneys who come in. I have accountants who come in and they say, gosh, you know, it always takes me longer. I was never good in college. So don't wait until your kid grows out of this. If you're seeing that there's a problem, let's address it. Vision problems are more in the forefront now because so much of our learning is just vision. We're just sitting in front of a computer screen Mm -hmm. in a classroom where there's manipulatives and learning comes to life because you have a teacher there, you have science projects. Now they're just staring at a screen. And so if you have a tracking or focusing or eye teaming problem, it is extremely difficult to achieve. And working on the computer at, in front of a screen is difficult, much more difficult than hard copy than a book. Because first of all, the screen, it's pixely. So it's electronically being refreshed, pixels. And so it's actually not stable. If you try to take a picture of your computer screen or your TV, you'll see that there's scrolling lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The brain sees that and it has to focus super duper fast to try to make it look stable. So it's harder on the focusing system and the eyes and the brain. And then you've got the blue light, which affects sleep and it penetrates the eyes. And actually blue light can cause more problems than sunlight to the tissues of the eyes. So I recommend all of my patients have either a blue light screen or wear blue light glasses when they're in front of a computer because uh, <laughs> we're both holding we them both up. We both are right holding now. them. <laughs> Good for you, girl. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been dubbed a sleep-deprived nation, and a lot of it is because of digital use. This is interesting for your podcast listeners: is that when you're staring at this artificial light, the screen. It could be a, a cell phone. It could be your tablet. It could be a TV. And there's this light blue background. It actually tricks the brain into thinking that it's still daylight. So your brain doesn't go into nighttime mode and you need to go into nighttime mode to start releasing melatonin so that the circadian rhythm takes place and you can go to sleep. So that circadian rhythm is disrupted and you may fall asleep, but you don't have good deep sleep. So protecting yourself from blue light is important. Why do you think that these types of vision issues that we're talking about today, kind of separate of each other, parents wouldn't be able to like put the picture together necessarily, but why do you think it's so misunderstood? Oh God, that's a really good question. I think part of it is you can't look at someone and tell that they have a vision problem. Their eyes are healthy and beautiful. And as a child, all you know is what you've experienced. So if you see blurry or double, you think that the rest of the world sees that way. So I was shocked when I first started in practice, I had this little girl come in and she had her head tilted down and she was looking up and her head posture was odd and she was doing that the whole time. So I straightened out her head to do what's called a cover test and measure her eye alignment and her eye went out. Mm -hmm. So I asked her how many of my pen do you see? She goes, two. And she goes, I always see double unless I put my head down. And so her parents were like, oh my gosh, why didn't you ever tell us? She goes, 
I thought everybody saw double. Yep. Yeah. You've probably heard this too. How many people didn't know they were legally blind and they have super blurry vision until their optometrist does their exam and gives them their first pair of glasses. I mean, that happened to me in third grade. I put them on and I could see the leaves on the trees and the mm-hmm. detail. just gradually became blurry. And because it's such a gradual change in your vision, you don't know what you're missing out on. And, and my adult patients, that happens to them too. I had one, when I was doing the doctors, it's a TV show. One episode we did was with the child of an ophthalmologist and her daughter really was seeing blurry, eyes not working well together. And she said, I am so embarrassed. I am an eye doctor. I've dedicated my life to this. And I didn't even know that my own daughter was having vision problems. So we recommend everybody has their eyes checked because you don't know. You've had them checked. Yeah. And we start at six months old, actually, because at that point, I'm looking for the proper development of visual skills, motor development, just like when you take your baby to the pediatrician. Are they sitting up at the right time? Do they have correct eye-hand coordination, again, based on eyes? Are they crawling? When do they start to talk? And there are developmental milestones for vision development also. So we evaluate that and something like a lazy eye, which is an amblyopia or the eyes drifting, we can catch that at an early age and do preventive measures rather than waiting until they get older. So I have two follow-up questions to that. The first is, is it hereditary or is there a genetic connection? And the second question that I have is if 20% of the population has some sort of deeper vision issue beyond what a regular quote unquote optometrist is going to find. And you may not know the answer to the question, but why is it not standard of care to have this as part of their developmental milestones checklist? Why isn't it something that we're looking for more? Some vision problems are genetic. Uh, strabismus, which is where the eyes are not straight and aiming at the same place, or amblyopia, there is a strong genetic predisposition. But then you also have the gene pool from the other parent. So Mm -hmm. it's not always expressed genetically. Then why isn't it caught in standard of care? Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. It's considered a specialty. God knows why, (laughs) because this is something that's so prevalent And we could really make school a lot easier. I mean, you know, like for me, it's taught in optometry school, but then you do a specialty in it afterwards. I mean, that's why I'm so grateful for you bringing this to the forefront and making people aware. And that's my goal in life is to impact more lives through education. Education is empowering people to say, you know what? I have this problem. Now I know I can do something about it. It's treatable. Mm -hmm. What did you say, Rachel, beforehand? You said, (laughs) I said, pain is sometimes unavoidable, but suffering is optional. I love that. I mean, literally, (laughs) that changed my life. So, (laughs) suffer no more. There's usually an answer to so many problems. And if you just feel that it's not right and your child is clumsy or not doing well in school and does not like reading, there's a problem. It's worth having a developmental optometrist evaluate your child to rule out if vision's a problem or not. And sometimes I am sent children who don't have a vision problem, but then I'm glad to say that too. But right. more times than not, there is an issue that they've been carrying around and struggling with for years. And having a vision problem is like having a visual handicap. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does not allow you. I mean, you cannot compete on an even ground with your classmates when you're in seventh grade, but your tracking is at second grade level. It just doesn't work. There's not a lot of access, right? Just like educational therapy, there aren't that many people that do vision therapy in their practices, number one. Number two, a lot of information out there says that vision therapy doesn't actually help. Hit or miss. That scientifically, it's not something that helps. Yeah. If you research it, there's a lot of information that people don't agree with. But the same thing with educational therapy, right? Totally. And this is something that we absolutely wanted to bring up with you because I have had extensive conversations with neuropsychologists when I look at the testing and I look at the kid and I why wouldn't you have suggested it? And their answer is the research isn't there. And I said, but if it helps, the research isn't necessarily there with the ed therapy either. You recommended that. But there just seems to be a bias or a stigma that it's a waste of money. So to speak. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what would you say to that criticism? I think that's misinformation. And I face this in my career too. People have said it doesn't work. I'm like, did you ever take a single class in vision therapy? Have you done the research yourself? I mean, I've devoted my professional career to this. I'm a product of it. I've helped, you know, thousands of patients and seen the results where they've done everything else and this was the missing link. Mm-hmm. So there have been quite a few studies showing that treating visual dysfunction improves uh, the vision problem itself. This is not voodoo. I mean, we're training, tracking, eye teaming. It's just like physical therapy. And you can train someone to move their eyes more correctly. It's a fine motor skill. Mm-hmm. And train the brain to coordinate the eyes and use them as a team. Research has also shown that there's a reduction in the frequency of adverse academic behaviors. So, you know, a child who's rubbing their eyes, they're not doing well in school. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's harder to show that, but it absolutely helps with that. Then there's more and more studies showing that you can improve visual function after brain injury, such as a concussion. Mm -hmm. That's something I'm involved in at uh, California Rehab Institute. And then when I was doing a lot of the sports vision training, there have been studies showing that you can improve the visual skills related to sports, such as the speed of visual reaction time, eye-hand coordination, depth perception. You're giving the brain more correct information because otherwise if it's garbage in, it's going to be garbage out. Then there was this study, in fact, I just read it last night, showing that certain vision problems such as amblyopia and strabismus, if they're untreated, now this is the scary part, if it's untreated, it disrupts the development of motor ability in children. So that affects depth reception. These are the people who, as they grow up, still can't parallel a park a car. Mm-hmm. Or they get into fender benders. They have difficulty judging when to stop behind a car. And so they end up hitting the car in front of them. This will also affect your ability, eye-hand coordination, aiming, and catching a ball. I can even send you the reference on that because I read this morning. It was, was awesome. Mm-hmm. And other reasons why you should have your vision checked is something as simple as farsightiness. If it's uncorrected, it affects learning. There have been studies showing decreased hyperopia leads to decreased literacy, decreased efficiency. You have to work harder to focus and then discomfort. And there is a research page on COVD 
you can go to their research page and it has a list of different research on there. And that's www.covd.org. So Cat Oscar Victor David.org. And they have a research page. And then the proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say something doesn't work and then you have someone standing in front of you where it's changed their life. Mm-hmm. I was surprised when you told me that people are saying, oh, well, there's no research supporting ed therapy. You're breaking down the deficient ed skills and you're working on them until you bring it to an age appropriate level. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, anybody who plays the piano plays tennis, you can improve visual motor skills, you can improve processing. And that's the same thing with vision therapy. As a personal question, <laughs> what, <laughs> Steph, do you know what question I'm going to ask? I think so. So when I'm at the grocery store, uh huh. Okay, let's take note that I knew this was coming. Yeah, because we've talked about this on the podcast. Because it's a problem that actually doing grocery delivery has eliminated. So, if I know where something is in the grocery store, I will buy that a million and a half times. But I struggle with doing like a different recipe because I will stare and stare and stare trying to find a new item. And I can't differentiate it. And there have been times when I've called Steph. I'm like, where is this in the store? And she'll be like, or my other friend, Andrea, I've called her about this too. And she's like, you need to ask somebody. But it's like embarrassing because inevitably it's right in front of me. Is this something I can work on is my question. It's partially vision. And I should back up and ask you, have you ever had a concussion or head injury? No. Sports injury, nothing. Okay. And then how are your reading skills uh, as far as speed, comprehension? Great. Pretty good. Okay. Fast, so yeah. you could, you know, I would have to test you mm-hmm. uh, to do that, but you may have a slight convergence excess where your eyes turn in a little bit. So you're not as aware of your peripheral vision mm. or you have problems with a visual perceptual issue, visual figure ground. And that's being able to pick out what's important when there's a lot of distracting visual stimuli. Mm-hmm. And I see that actually more in patients and people who have had concussion. When I was taking care of the Anaheim Ducks, a lot of my hockey players have had concussions. Yeah, of course. <laughs> a lot of professional athletes have. So they would tell me, and they'd pull me aside kind of sheepishly and, and tell me what you did. You know, I get really anxious when I'm in a crowded area, is what they tell mm-hmm. me or I have difficulty finding my way, grocery store is the main culprit because, mm-hmm. you know, you're in these narrow aisles. There's so much visual stimuli mm-hmm. sides. It is confusing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my players who had this had concussions. And so when you have post-traumatic vision syndrome, that is one of the issues is that you cannot combine what you see centrally with peripheral vision. And that makes it super confusing. So Rachel? I'd like you to see a developmental. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I want to go just to see. (laughs) Well, and also to see what the exam is like. But let's ask some FAQ questions that we get asked. We get asked all the time. How long does that therapy take? So how long does vision therapy take? So there's no single answer to that because it really depends on how severe the vision issues are. Yeah, right. Problems are. It could take anywhere from three months to a year. Uh, just like with your clients who are in ed therapy. Mm-hmm. And then it depends on their motivation. Uh, do they come in weekly? Are they doing home exercises? In our office, we have patients do home exercises to reinforce and accelerate the treatment. 
But it's just like if you ask somebody, how long is it going to take my child to play for Elise on the piano? Mm-hmm. Well, depends on how how often they practice. Yeah. That's what I was named after, by the way. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I like it. Okay. Another common question. Is it covered by insurance? Some insurances do cover vision therapy, but similar to ed therapy, insurances consider it related to education. So they mm-hmm. don't. However, if you have a medical issue, a convergence issue, strabismus or amblyopia, oftentimes they will cover a portion of it, but it's dependent. Mm-hmm on your insurance plan. Fair enough. Okay. Next question. How do you find a developmental optometrist? I mean, I know how I found you because I was Googling it years ago, but is there a central place or how do you find one? I just took a picture of us, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let me smile. Yeah. Okay. You smile. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um, how do we find one? Well, COVD is a good option which I gave earlier, covd.org, because that is the certification body for once we've uh, done our fellowship in developmental optometry. OEP is another one. That's the Optometric Extension Program. It's oepf.org, I believe. You can Google that. Mm -hmm. And they also have a doctor locator. And hopefully you can put the links on your website. My website is hollywoodvision.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Hollywood Eyes or Facebook. And then we do a lot of second and third and fourth opinions for parents. So now with COVID, it's actually made us more efficient. I use telehealth. And so I can glean enough information from a case history and talking to a parent that I can guide them in the right direction. So I'm happy to do telemedicine consultations. And you can book that on my website, hollywoodvision.com, or just DM me on social media. And can you book work with patients in other states? Yes, we can. Okay. We also have the ability to do vision therapy via Zoom. That was my next question. I'm fascinated by this. But I really do need to see the patient for a physical exam Mm -hmm. to measure them and do hands-on testing for the first visit. So we have done this. We've had some patients in Hong Kong, New York. We have some celebrities who are doing movies in different parts of the world. And we've done that. It is more effective to do anything in person. Mm -hmm. If you're living in an area where there are no developmental optometrists, because there's not many of us who specialize in this, then we will be happy to help you. Are optometrists allowed to do vision therapy if they haven't done this fellowship? They are. There's unfortunately a, a range of people who claim to do vision therapy, but uh, maybe have just gone to a weekend course or they're doing what's called orthoptics, which is just oversimplification where just like you're moving a pencil closer and further away from you, or you're focusing from near to far looking at a, a chart. I mean, this is a lifelong and professional journey. Uh, after 32 years, I'm still learning. And I think I look back and I go, wow, how much more and more effective I am now than I was before. But you'll get a higher level of expertise in someone who's committed to going through the postdoctorate coursework. And we have the right case studies. We have oral board exams. So seeing a a fellow guarantees a higher level of... And how do we know? They'll have the initials FCOVD after their name. And then also... On the COVD website, they list fellows. Got it. Mm-hmm. 
I like it. I feel like I've learned so much in such a short period of time. This is another part of Rachel and my mission about educating our audience, teachers, parents, other educational therapists to recognize some of the things that can come up that might look like something else and it's treatable. And I'm so grateful to you to come on and to have this mission because I know people, my cousin, for instance, she had vision therapy and she said it changed her life and she had it as an adult. So I think there's probably a lot of people that don't have to suffer. Yep. Thank you so much. Are there any final words that you want to share with our audience? Well, I'm very appreciative for not only you inviting me today, but for what you do for the whole community. Uh, as far as there's so many different issues. When parents come in to see me, they're confused, they're frustrated, and they don't know where to turn and what are the resources. So you guys are an amazing resource for parents, you know, to learn more because we're not taught this in school. Yeah. And the take-home message is if your child is uncomfortable, they're not performing well on visual tasks, have their eyes checked. And if they've had them checked, it's just a screening at the pediatrician. That's not an eye exam. Or if they have not seen a developmental optometrist, do yourself a favor. This is something that will not only pay off now, but allow your child to perform the rest of their life. Otherwise, they'll be struggling through adulthood. And uh, follow me on Instagram. It's Hollywood Eyes. And as Rachel said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So don't suffer. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> thank you so much, yes, Dr. Briscoe. Thank My you. Pleasure. Yeah. Keep up the good work, guys. You too. Thank you. Awesome job. Thank you.